How's everybody doing? We'll see if this thing is going to echo the whole time. It's okay. Um, why don't we all stand up real quick? Why does he always make us stand up? Uh, tell us. <laughs> I think the reason that I like that is because, at least for me, um, it's really easy to get kind of settled in, right? <clears throat> it's like the whole service goes, and then the spotlight's in my face, and then things just kind of settle in, and it's Sunday morning, and then it's like, okay, well, now what, right? And it just, it's like, well, I just like to have movement because it shakes off the, the dust a little bit, and we get to enjoy one another and really prepare our hearts to hear the Lord. Uh, let's just pray. Jesus, I just thank you. Um, I just thank you, Lord, for life. I thank you that we get to come together as a family here at King's Church on Sunday mornings. I thank you that you've made us one body with one spirit and one faith. I thank you, Jesus, that you fulfilled uh, what Ezekiel prophesied. You walked in what Jeremiah and Isaiah saw. I thank you, Jesus, that you've grafted us into such a large story that it's sometimes it's overwhelming sometimes we don't even sometimes it's confounding it's we don't even know where to start i just thank you lord that you really simplify things for us sometimes and bring it down into just the simple gospel that jesus you came to bring life into death we're just glad to be together this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. You guys can sit, unless you don't want to. In which case, I'm all about it. So my name's Chuck. Uh, if you don't know me, nice to, nice to see you, nice to meet you. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I, uh, Sasha and I went and had sushi last night. Somebody say amen. Uh, I don't even know how you can just survive without sushi. Somebody say amen for the Japanese culture and introducing sushi to the American culture, right? Because I just don't want to live. Take me now, Lord, if all I have to do is hamburgers and hot dogs for the rest of my life. I need some sushi. I like some uh, nigiri. Where's Josh Karadman? I think Karadman might have been one of the first people to introduce me to sushi. Anyways, it's good to see him this morning. I just love you guys. My heart this morning is just really, just really tender. Uh, you know, sometimes I just want to just run. Uh, it may not look like it, but I promise my spiritual physique is that of a runner. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and uh, so I just, you know, sometimes I just want to go. I just, I feel like the Lord has just made me. He's just given me this heart capacity. Uh, you know, I don't remember when I first met Brad. Back in 2018, uh, the very first uh, meeting that we had at your house, uh, Betsy, I believe you were there. Uh, I know there was a few others there. And I remember talking about secretariat. And, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, but if you want to look it up, <clears throat> there's a word that uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Keith Davis gave. Um, there's a, there's a book that he wrote called Books of Destiny, where he actually, the whole word, the prophetic word that he gave is in that book. And it's about secretariat and how secretariat really was this incredible sign and wonder that God gave us to, uh, for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, 
to see what God was doing in our day and what he, what he wanted to do with the church, right? How many of you guys have seen the movie Secretariat? Yeah. Isn't that such a cool movie? I, can, I remember the, the line when Secretariat's like towards the end of the movie, he comes turning around the, uh, the bend. Uh, I can't remember if it's the Belmont or the Preakness. And he's like 15 or 20 furlongs ahead. Uh, I'm in a, I come from like a horse racing family. My father is a farrier. My grandfather was a trainer and jockey. Also hard to believe uh, based on my physique. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, he was, he's a small little guy. And, uh, but, but so I remember that movie and I remember Secretariat just thundering around the turn and then the narrator, which of course is uh, Diane Lane's voice uh, playing, uh, what's her name? Penny. I can't think of the lady's name right now. And, you know, it's quoting Job, which I'm not going to quote from heart because I don't have it. And it, but it's just something like his nostrils are flaring and his hooves are pumping and his heart. It's basically just like this heart bursting at the seams and the, the music. And suddenly you see secretary thunder around the turn. And uh, he's 20 furlongs, just nothing even close. And the word of the Lord is... This is who God is raising up, that he's raising up champion secretariat hearts uh, out of his bride, out of his church. The thing that's interesting about secretariat, I guess I'm going to go more into it than I realized, is that they called him the horse that God built. He captured the nation during a time of war, controversy, chaos. Uh, we were, at, we were at, of course, um, in, entangled in the Vietnam War at the time, and there's protests, and everything is going on, yet there's this horse, this animal, that is on the cover of Time magazine, because he's fighting for the Triple Crown. I mean, if you can't see the metaphor in all this, um, it's, ama- it's a, such an amazing story. He's racing against in this, this, well, really through all these races, the Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and, and the Belmont. Um, this horse called Sham, and the idea, and I'm not going to give it all away, but go, go check it out. The idea is that there's this counterfeit. There's a sham in the land. There's this thing that wants to be the best. Of course, it's just the enemy, right? And he's trying to, like a Goliath, what, like smack talk you into, kind of like Joy was really confronting this with her prophetic worship this morning, kind of into, sur- in, into the wrong kind of surrender, like a, a surrender that looks like, uh, not like complacency and hiding, where there's actually a secretariat, you know, his, his real name was Big Red, that was his real name, and it's like the Big Red blood of Jesus, right? So anyways... They just thought Sham was the super horse. And of course, they ended up calling Secretariat the super horse. And they said, well, Sham was the fastest horse to ever run all three races, just behind, of course, Secretariat. Because Secretariat, uh, Secretariat blew every uh, record out of the water. I think he, again, won the final race by something like 20 or 15 furlongs, which is just unimaginable in, in the industry to do it. And no horse, by the way, since then. I, I, I just, I urge you to go YouTube the, that final race. I believe it's the Belmont. And it's just, it's exactly like the movie. You know, you go and you watch like Muhammad Ali, right? You see Will Smith in there fighting, fighting against Joe Frazier and uh, uh, George, what's his name? Somebody help me out. You know, the, 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 the guy, the, the foreman, thank you, the foreman grill, right? Amen. Praise God. 
<laughs> and, and you go and you're like, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali was awesome. He floated like a butterfly. He stung like a bee. But listen, the movie, is it as true to reality? I mean, not exactly. You watch that race. There's no fabricating this. Secretariat destroyed the competition. There was no Goliath left. <laughs> he eradicated it. And so as the word goes, um, the, the, you know, Secretariat was this incredible, formidable, formidable. Somebody say, I am formidable. Raise your hand if you believe it. I'm not trying to call you out because I know that I don't always feel formidable. Do you know that if you're formidable, sometimes people get offended by that. Sasha and I were having this discussion a few weeks back and uh, discussing about, you know, you know, it's easy to, me and Colin may be in a conversation. Colin may be in a conversation. I don't think this has ever happened between you and I. We both are pretty outgoing people. But, you know, maybe we are talking about something and maybe I accidentally or he accidentally or maybe we're just being honest and vulnerable and upfront. But it kind of, I walk away and it leaves me feeling a little bit like, man, Colin was a little bit like rude or something like that. And well, maybe he's just formidable. Maybe he just has something to say, and I walked away feeling insecure because I wasn't running the race like I could, if that makes sense. Does that make sense for some of you? Um, you're made to be formidable. So Secretariat was this formidable opponent, right? The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. Some, uh, one way to translate it is the gates of hell cannot endure rather than just this idea of a church that is uh, under this attack and we're like hell is on the outside of our walls. It's more like the opposite. We're pushing up against it, right? We're formidable, okay? So the thing about Secretariat that was so interesting, after the kind of they saw and discovered how, you know, or again, he just, he just blew the minds of the world away. Again, cover of Time magazine, the horse that God built. He, they would say, you can see this in the movies, but they would say about him, it was almost like he had this, uh, like, sixth sense or something. He would pose for the cameras. They would watch him, and he'd be, like, looking, almost like, like a confidence. And he'd be like, how does this horse have swag? Do you know somebody who had swag in the Bible? Somebody shout it out. Who's, who, Jesus had swag. Some of you don't believe that. Elijah had swag. Who said David? Come on, man. Stop. You're going to make me cry. All right. <clears throat> I love you. Um, David had swag. You don't go up to a Goliath. You don't go up to a giant. When all of your older brothers are cowering in fear and the king is afraid, you don't go up to a giant without swag. And some of you are already, there's like a little bit, I can tell, offended by that. Because you're like, well, swag, that sounds carnal or fleshly or like, um, you know, cocky, right? Sasha and I were talking. I said, listen, when David walked in David's swag, he sinned with Bathsheba. But when he walked in God's swag, he slayed the giants. <laughs> when David walked in David's swag, I'm going to rap. He sinned with Bathsheba. But when David walked in God's swag, he slayed the giants. Okay? So here's the thing about Secretariat. Secretariat, um, he, he ended up going, of course, into the Hall of Fame. They did an autopsy on him after he was dead. Uh, 
And they, they, what they did was they discovered, yeah, they waited till he died, <clears throat> as you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, they discovered that his heart was two times the size of an average horse's heart. Now, how many of you know that there's a such thing as an enlarged heart disease, that you can have an enlarged heart and it's a, it's a, it's a bad thing? But the thing is, is that Secretariat's heart was perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with his heart. In fact, his heart weighed 22 pounds. 22 pounds. Average horse heart is like something like 9 pounds. <clears throat> so the word that Paul Keith Davis gave was an Isaiah 22, 22 word. Now, you've probably heard this given. And, and one thing that I like to add um, to the body of Christ is as I feel like a lot of times words go out... But sometimes we don't always get uh, interpretation. So, and I'm going to get into the message today, and it's going to be on, I promise, Pentecost. But I think this is, a, it's, this is about Pentecost, right? Um, Isaiah 22, 22. So I'm just going to read it. So Isaiah 22, 22. Now, the, Isaiah 22, 22 has a context that is specific to Isaiah 22, 22, right? But how many of you guys know that the Lord can't speak into our context from this context, right? It's like a spirit hermeneutic because he can take the, the hermeneutic of scripture. We can read it, interpret it. It's just a big word for interpretation. And we can go, what was Isaiah saying in Isaiah's day to the people that Isaiah was prophesying and preaching to? And then what is the spirit now overlaying on that for our day, right? Secretariat has a 22-pound heart. Here's what it says. And I will place on the shoulder of the house of David, okay? And he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. This is talking about a different king in that time period, in that context. But the idea is that there is a key, there is an authority, there is a, uh, an anointing, if you will, given to a messianic figure, right? And if obviously this is a prophecy ultimately about Christ, Christ, it says the government will rest on his shoulders and he will open up what he wants to open up and he'll shut what he wants to shut. So there's this idea of a governance, there's this idea of an authority that this Jesus will uh, it's Matthew 16. He will uh, bind on earth what is bound in heaven, and he will loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. So there's, the, listen, we're doing that this morning. We're operating in that this morning. When we're singing out the song, we're stepping out onto the water, we're casting our bread onto the water. What we're doing is we're coming into agreement with what is being said in heaven, right? And when we do that, we're shutting things that need to be shut down. And we're releasing things that need to be released. Amen? And what the enemy wants to come and do is he wants to come and remove. Listen, and if you, if you think swag is like, it's totally not about us. David, the, the idea is that David, what did he come? The things that he said was not like, I, David, am so stinking awesome. You know, run away. No, he said, I come in the name of the Lord. I come in the name of the Lord. Uh, Dave, uh, Goliath is shouting about all the different ways that he's going to, you know, kill the Israelites. And David is basically like, you're going to, the birds are going to be picking up your body in about, in about a few minutes. <laughs> right? Uh, I think that's pretty awesome. So here's the thing to, to summarize. 
is that God is raising up a generation of people. And this, and, and this isn't, so how many of you guys also know that there's always a new thing? Come on. If you've been around kind of prophetic communities, there's always a new thing that he's doing, right? Come on. Somebody. Right? And I, I'm not, I, I mean that, I'm kind of, I'm saying that in a corrective sense. Because it's also the same new thing that Ezekiel saw and was prophesying about. So we need to be able to see it as a now and not yet reality. There's something new that he's doing, but it's really not all that new because it's what Ezekiel saw. It's what Jeremiah saw. We're just stepping into the story. It might be new, new to us, but it's not exactly new to the story. Does that make sense? All right. So what God is raising up is he's raising up a 22-pound heart bride. Those who are able to run with him the race of faith. Amen? Isn't that exciting? You know what that makes me want to do? Spiritual two-a-days. <laughs> Sprints or something. I mean, maybe I'll manifest it in the natural. Praise God. Someone pray for me because I, I really, I need to. But I, it just excites me because I saw this morning, I saw us moving in that. And I think what we're doing is he's teaching us and training us how to kind of wait and kind of move and flow with it, right? Like this morning, you know, being Pentecost, um, I just think about how, how difficult must it have been for those first, those first believers, you know, the 11 and then the 120 there in the upper room. How difficult must it have been just to sit there? You know, we can't even stand at the altar without getting a little bit fidgety, right? I mean, that's just the truth. Like, I get fidgety. I want to just, like, run back and, you know, go to Cracker Barrel or something. And, uh, and we, you know, and he's teaching us to kind of linger, isn't he? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. Couldn't you labor with me in prayer even for an hour? Does that make sense? And he's teaching us, he's training us in his kindness to get that now because, because you don't get the secretary at heart without waiting in that place of prayer right? Uh, if you watch the movie, I really encourage you, you know, uh, it's just funny. I really am a prime example for this. So let me be a sign and wonder for you. Uh, they talked about Secretariat just being lazy and leaning against the stall. He eats all day. He doesn't, this is during his training season, right? In a lot of ways, this is exactly how the church is. Some, you know, we want to eat all day, at least the Western church. <laughs> we want to lean against the stall, you know, kind of have to prod us to get us going. But the thing is, there's so much pent-up potential. It's visible. You can see it. And if we can just catch that the Lord is actually training us to run, it's a mental shift. He wants to come. This is something the Lord was, I really feel like he was saying to me during uh, just worship, was if we can catch this mental shift, we'll be prepared uh, like John the Baptist, make ye the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. We'll be, we'll be prepared to run the race like forerunners, like secretariats going for the triple crown. But to get that mindset, we all have to come together because it's not going to be one of us, uh, the teaching staff or, or whoever. It, we have to get it as a community like the Acts 2 church. How many of you guys know when you read uh, about, uh, in Acts 2, you read about these things, it says over and over again, they were in what? They were in one, one accord, or another translation says, mind, right? Now, some of us, I think when we hear that, we think that means we need to have the same theology. We need to have the same doctrine. We need to have the same opinion about everything. This is impossible, isn't it? Uh, in this room right now, there's probably... Who even knows? Probably an uncountable amount of variation between the way each of us think about things. The perspectives that we have, even just based on personality. 
right? What the Bible is saying is they were in one mind because the mind that they were in was whose mind? Christ. So it wasn't about coming and this is true for me, right? I, I don't, I can give my heart freely and hold nothing back when I know that I'm not giving it to Brad, Megan, Chuck, Sasha, King's church leadership, you know, the, the pastor on TV or whatever. When I know that I'm giving it to Christ, I can give it all, right? So when we come together, if we're going to be like that Acts 2 church, how many of you know that there's churches that have incredible unity on doctrine, but they are not unified in spirit? And I love sound doctrine. Like, I love it. Like, I, I believe it's something we need to fight for. But we are not going to have that. We're not going to have the unity that we see in Acts 2 if we're all just trying to make sure that, you know, we're all in the same page in terms of, you know, what Colin thinks, what, what Brian thinks, what Sasha thinks, what Brad thinks. We're going to come together and we're going to say, Jesus, what does your word say and what do you think? Amen. So we come in one accord with those variations, those differences that we all have, and we can lay it all down, all of it, because I'm not giving it to some local community. I am, I am. That's not like it isn't true. It is true, but it's a secondary truth to the ultimate truth that I'm giving it all to Jesus. I'm giving him all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Okay. So the Lord is raising up a secretariat heart church, a, a, a church that has the heart of a champion to run the race of faith. And we're going to get prepared for that by renewing our minds and giving our minds to Christ and being in one accord. So that comes in that goes, do you know what? I'm just going to give my mind to whatever the spirit is saying. It's Sunday morning, Wednesday night, uh, while I'm at home during the week, uh, he, Holy Spirit, this is a great prayer to pray. Holy Spirit, discipline my mind. Some of you who struggle with uh, depression, uh, uh, learning disabilities, pray, Holy Spirit, discipline my mind. I promise you, you're going to see fruit from that. Amen? All right. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read, we're just going to read the Bible. Okay? Amen? Amen. All right. So the message today is called, Count the Cost for Pentecost. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to look, if you could do a character, a character study on the first century church, on, on these 120 people, uh, one little side note, prophetically speaking, how many counties are in, uh, in Kentucky? Who knows? 120 counties. All right. I believe, and many have said, that Kentucky, prophetically speaking, is called to be an upper room state. That the Lord wants us... Now, that's a play on words. Who has eyes to see and ears to hear it, right? It's a state of mind. Put yourself in the mindset of those in the upper room. Okay? Put yourself... When we talk about this, put yourself in the mindset of those who were in Jerusalem waiting obeying Jesus as he ascended into heaven. You, you can't even consider the disorientation they must have felt in, the, in these days. Their Messiah had died. They were alone. The, the plan was ruined. They're completely disoriented. So much so that thousands of followers dispersed. They're gone. Right? Only the mother of Jesus, 
and John the Beloved are standing at the cross to watch it happen, right? Peter, the rock, he has, shamed, he, he has uh, forsaken Christ. Brad touched on that a few weeks back. But good news, Jesus has come again. He's revealed himself even up to like 500 people at that point uh, to, to all of the, the apostles here. And we read, and then in Acts chapter one, we read the ascension story. He's revealed himself. Brad did that message where he's restored Peter. You know, they, were, they went from disorientation to, oh my goodness, like how could you? They're spinning in circles, emotional circles. They're down, they're up, and then he's up and they're down again. They're like, what is going on? The Messiah is back. And now he's gone. <laughs> and Brad touched on this. They're standing there and the angels kind of have to say like, wait, well, hey, why are you? Just the same way they're gawking at the tomb. Now they're gawking at the sky. And he's like, hey guys, why are y'all staring at the sky? Because we don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> Put yourself in that state of mind. Okay. All right. Let's flip actually one page over. check test all right so like i said flip over or again just stay where you're at acts chapter 1 verse 13 again put yourself in the upper room mindset and the state of mind okay all of these with one all right come on y'all oh wait a second i was reading from 14 i I messed y'all up that was my bad all right 13 says and they entered and they went to the upper room uh, where they were staying Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon. Uh, This is just the the 11, right? The 11 apostles that are there after, of course, Judas um, was not there anymore, right? And it says the zealot Judas, that's a different zealot or different Judas. And all these were with one mind. Come on. All right. All right. It says devoting themselves to what? Prayer. Uh, and w- with who? Together with the women. Say the women, women. This is awesome. The women are leading the charge also. And the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Okay? So they're all there. In 15, um, it says, how many people? It says, in those days, Peter stood among the brothers. The company of persons in all were about 120. All right. All right. I'm actually going to flip over here to Luke. Let's see. Fourteen. All right. Luke 14. Here, let me do this. I'm going to paraphrase it. So over in Luke 14, what you see is you see in Luke 14, you have the story where Jesus is, is having the Last Supper, the Passover, right? And in the story, Jesus tells the disciples to go out. These different events are going to happen. When you see these events happen, you know, this is the person that's going to actually establish this location for us to have the Passover. Where do they go? They go to an upstairs room. They go to the upper room. So the story is after these things have occurred, the disciples find themselves back in the same place. At least this is according to Christian tradition. They find themselves back in this upper room. Jesus, the same place where Judas began the betrayal, Jesus is about to begin the victory uh, in the, the disciples in Jerusalem as they wait in the upper room, waiting in those days, right? So Jesus ascends. He commands them, go back to the upper room. And I just wanted to link you to Luke 14 because it's an incredible reality when you think, again, what are they doing? What did Peter do, right? Brad talked about this. He went 
went back to that familiar place. If you're putting yourself in the mindset of these believers, Peter, he said, I'm just going to go back fishing. Right? And now, here in, uh, in, again, in Luke 14, we see where the room was established for Passover. If you've ever done ministry, you know what happens. If, if God, if Jesus gave his disciples these prophetic words, and he's like, when you see these things happen, they're going to come and they're going to, they see these things happen. They have the Passover. They're going to talk with the innkeeper. They're going to be like, you're not going to believe this. Our, our leader, our, our rabbi just told us to come here. He told us all of these things were going to happen, and they did. Okay, and then what happens is that rabbi or or excuse me, that innkeeper is going to like know about that. He's going to end up meeting Jesus. Jesus is going to come and he's going to do the Passover, right? Now there's a network that's been built. So they, they still know this guy. This is, this is just, I'm paraphrasing, allow me to kind of extrapolate in my imagination a little bit here. But this is what I believe has happened. And they go back to that same place. They go back to that same room, that upper room where they had the Passover, and that's where we pick up in, in Acts chapter 1. So now they're in one accord in Acts 1, and they come back in Acts 2, right? And so it's just like a little bit of time goes on. Again, they, what they do is if you read the context of Acts 1, is the, it's the ascension story. They're together praying in one accord, and then they pray, and they, they realize, hey, we need to do something because there's 11 of us right now. Jesus, you know, so they, they, they add Matthias to, to the 12, right? So that's where Acts chapter 2 begins. So let's pick up from there. So they're in this place in the upper room. Jesus is the same place they had Passover. And here they are just following the instructions of Jesus after the ascension, waiting in the upper room. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They weren't, listen, they weren't all spread about in 120 counties having house meetings. I am not against house meetings. Some of you, that just offended you right away. I'm not against house meetings. I love that. I love house meetings. But here's what we have to do. We got to obey what Jesus says. I'm not talking about a church program or a church structure or a building program or a building structure. I'm saying, what is he saying to a community in the moment? Come on, someone stay with me here. Don't let me lose you on that. Because I am not talking about the, the six best ways to church build. Because I believe God sends revival on house meetings too. Because... You know and I know that that's what they end up in later on. But here, before anything happens, where are they at? They're in one place. Say it, come on, say it with me. One place, one mind. Okay? So they're all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled, say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You guys know the story, right? You guys know the story. They began speaking. Here's what happens. They're in one room, 120 people. I mean, is there 120 of us in this room right now? I don't even know. But this isn't a large room. This is, you um, you know, first century Jerusalem. They've rented out a conference room. Right? That's what they're in, basically, a first century conference room. They've gone back, probably packed in there like sardines, sweating, no air conditioning unit. Put yourself in their mind. And they're obeying what he said. Wait. Don't move. Don't get hasty. Wait for the Spirit. John the Baptist, when Jesus came, was in a prison cell. And he challenged Jesus. It's like, John, you know who had some swag? 
Any of you feel like bold enough to challenge Jesus? John the Baptist said, send a message to him and say, are you the one they prophesied about? And he came back and he said, he's healed the sick, raised the dead, healed the blind, right? Cast out demons, cleansed lepers. John the Baptist, though, he's, it's almost like he's looking for something. It's like, what is it? He's looking what he prophesied for. He said, one will come after me. He goes, I baptize you in water, but there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even unworthy to unclasp. He will baptize you not many days from now in the Holy Spirit with fire. So here these people are. Put yourself in this mind. They go, I know that he, he's like, what has happened? We're up, we're down. He's up, he's down. And then he's up again. And they're waiting. And then suddenly another thing happens is the Holy Spirit finally in the middle of their waiting shows up and he disorients things again. He's like, we're, we, look, we, we might not know, we might not be feeling much, but at least we're oriented. We know what he told us to do. We're waiting. Good. Okay. And then the Holy Spirit, fire, tongues of fire, things are getting... Listen, they're in the conference room, but suddenly if you read the narrative, watch what happens. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout Jews, men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing. They were in one room together. Where did all these other people come from? Hearing the tongues in different languages. It's almost like it exploded out of the one room into the streets. Something is happening. I don't know. I'm imagining myself in this maybe district of Jerusalem walking by. Maybe I'm uh, in the marketplace like looking for a nice like camel skinned. Uh, I'm a, maybe a disciple of John. Like a burlap shirt to wear or something. And uh, I'm not a, an ancient history scholar by no means. And I, but I'm walking by and then suddenly I, I'm, maybe I'm from Judea or Samaria or something like that. But then out of a window in this upstairs room I hear people screaming and shouting the mysteries of God in my own language. And I'm going what is that? And then there's people over here going, what in the world? Did you hear that? What is going on? They're talking about how he cleansed the lepers, how he walked on water, how he fed the 5,000. He's talking about how he threw the, the horses and the chariots into the sea during the times of Pharaoh, how he walked on the water. And suddenly it's spilling out. It's overflowing the same way like in Luke 5 when the fish are overflowing the banks of the boat and the boat is going down. Now suddenly the spirit is overflowing this upper room. It's exploding out into the streets. And now there's a whole new kind of fish that are coming in. And there was 120 in the room, 120 people. Jesus had thousands of followers. Thousands. Jesus had a megachurch. Come on. But at the cross, everything scattered. The same people who remained were of a different heart. Say a different heart. It overflows, and then another man who had failed, say failed, Failed. completely failed. He's on the bench. He's been benched. Jesus calls his number. He says, Peter, off the bench. 
There's something going on. You've been waiting for it. Peter's been waiting. Peter's been like, he's been chomping at the bit since day one. Since day one. Peter had so much Peter swag that Peter was constantly stepping in it and getting in trouble, wasn't he? Peter's, Peter, Jesus says to Peter, he's like, look, man, pride cometh before a fall. Peter, he's basically like, Peter, you've got so much bravery and courage, you just don't know where it comes from yet. Be careful. Because as soon as you put your faith in that, you're going to fall down. So Peter's constantly giving us that example of how to kind of take up our cross and follow Christ and lay down our own swag, right? And pick up the cross of Christ. And now here's Peter, having gone through failure, having gone through trial, his number is called. Guess what? Oh, I bet you. I bet you he's not completely feeling confident in the moment. But I bet you that there's something inside of him dragging his jersey and pulling him to the front saying, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. He gets up there and he says, men of Jerusalem and Judea. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Listen, you have something to say, but you need to stand with the eleven. You need someone around you. If I'm feeling like, man, God, Jesus, he called me Peter. He told me feed his sheep. Right? Brad just went over this with us. And this is just a short time later. And here he is. I've seen this. There's things happening. There's this godly kind of uh, wrestling and almost commotion going on. And somebody's just got to do something. Like David, is there not a cause? Peter, like the, the son of David, is like on Peter's mind and heart. And he's going, is there not a cause? Somebody has to say something. They've got, he's got to, we got to say what's actually happening. And here he is, standing with the eleven. He's not alone. He's got support. Every Moses has an Aaron, right? Here's Peter. Peter's got the other 11 there, supporting him, encouraging him. Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered from the prophet Joel. And in the last days shall it be, says God. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male male servants and my, uh, my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Peter is standing in a different spirit. He's like a man, like Brad was saying earlier. I'm so glad he prayed that from Ezekiel. I had no idea that he was going to do that today. He'd been given what? A new heart. Guys, the new covenant is about God giving us a new heart so that we can follow him and obey him and walk boldly in confidence of what he says and does. And here comes Peter. He's standing up, not in the flesh, not in some contrived, drummed up, kind of like uh, personality type. I don't know what Peter's personality type. He was probably, you know, an extrovert, whatever. But maybe he wasn't. It doesn't matter. It wasn't about personality type. Paul certainly wasn't an extrovert, was he? Yet Paul said, uh, the power of God is not with words, but it's in power from the Holy Spirit. And here's Peter under the power of the Holy Spirit, standing in front of everyone after just a few days later falling flat on his face. A few days earlier. 
maybe weeks earlier, right? And if you put yourself in the mindset of what's actually happening, you see the new heart that is being poured out in the world, in the church. This is what the upper room is all about. This is what it's about when, when God says, tarry with me for a little while. Couldn't you just labor with me? Tarry with me in prayer just for a little while. It's not just because I have things to do. He does have things to do. There's a game. And it's a game that at the end, it is life and death is on the line. But that's not God's primary focus. The primary focus is that he wants your heart. He wants to take your heart and transplant it with his heart. The entire new covenant is not just about, listen, Jesus said these two things. The law and the prophets hang on this. The first commandment, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That isn't just about, hey, come and drum something up, but I'm going to send my spirit. And when I do that, something's going to happen in the human frame that transitions you from one who leans against the stall to one who runs the race with endurance. That was the thing about the, the Belmont that they constantly said about Secretariat is that he, w- he was too fast and wouldn't have endurance. But what he did, and this is what the church is doing and will do, regardless of what it looks like right now in the land, because the Lord is the head of the church and the Lord will not fail. The Secretariat blew everyone out because he was... They they said he was too fast. He's a sprinting horse. He cannot run with endurance. But not only did he sprint, he sprinted the entire way and he ran with endurance. He was still running after the finish line. There's a line in the the movie where the the trainer yells from the stands to the the jockey riding secretariat. His name's Ronnie something or other. And he just says, Ronnie, don't fall off! And it's quoted, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's true. It's actually what something was said. He's like, listen, they interviewed him afterwards. And this is what the jockey said. He was like, I was just trying to not fall off. And there's something about when the spirit moves. You guys could sense it this morning. You could kind of sense things getting a little bit unbridled, right? Psalm 119.32. I will run the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I think it's uh, Psalm chapter 9, verse 3. It says, don't be like the horse and mule who needs bit and bridle to come to me. This idea when we give him our heart and we come voluntarily to him in love, he enlarges our hearts and we can run with endurance and with speed the race. Who knows that song, I'm going the distance. I'm going for speed. Come on, where's my 90s generation? Come on, Anthony. I'm going for distance. I'm going for speed. So <clears throat> he's made us to run. And he's done it. This is what the Acts ch- chapter 2. But he's, the, you don't just get it out of nowhere. Again, it's not about a personality type. It's not about reading some self-help book or finding out the, the six. Like, I love this, but it's not 10 rules for life or 12 rules for life. It is about sitting and waiting in the presence of the Lord and having your heart touched. And when he touches your heart... He, it's fuel. He will fill you with the fuel of his spirit and you will run and you will run the race that he has set for in front of you to run. Amen. Now, 
<clears throat> I told you that, that the title of the message today is Count the Cost for Pentecost. How many of you guys are really encouraged by the, the Acts chapter 2 story? I love the Acts chapter 2 story. And Brad touched on this uh, a few weeks back when he was, you know, talking about you can't have Pentecost uh, or you can't even have the, the, the fullness of what happened at the cross. Again, John the Baptist knew this as well, looking for, for Pentecost, looking for that day when the, the paraclete, the advocate would come with fire and ultimately bring righteousness to the earth and restore everything that had been done wrong with that purging, cleansing, cleansing flame. The thing is that God is first doing it in hearts, and then he's going to do it in the rest of the world. And, and that's, we just didn't know that at the time. Jesus is, he has come, but he is coming again. So um, there's this, this part that we're going to turn over to. So like I said, we, we, love, we love the Acts chapter 2. At least I, I love. I love Acts chapter 2. I love the story. I love the signs and wonders. I want the signs and wonders. Um, but, but it's easy to love the outpouring. It, it, is, it is less easy, though, to, to endure or to, to wait in the, in the pain. Many of us know what that's like. How many of you know out of your greatest pain often comes your, your greatest um, power? It co- your, comes your, your greatest experience. This, it's almost like in worship. I've, my, the greatest times I've had in worship often are in the places where I've been in the greatest suffering. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 14, 26. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. So he's surrounded with fame right now. Everybody on social media loves him. He's got all the likes, right? This is amazing. He prunes his own ministry, doesn't he? He does it all the time. Jesus wants an authentic heart. He's God. He could, he could right now step into this room and demand worship. Just his presence alone would demand it, and he would do it, right? Here's what it says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Isn't that great? Thank you. How many of us love that verse? It's hard, right? That's a hard one. Now, what is he not saying? He's not saying you need to hate your family. What he's saying is that this is the mindset of the upper room church. They knew that if they followed Jesus, that very likely they were going to receive scorn from family members, brothers, sisters, everyone around them. That a Jew in that day, if you followed the Messiah who who died on a cross, his whole ministry was a failure, everything was wrong, to give your heart to him, just like maybe a Muslim in Iraq today who follows Jesus puts their faith in Christ, maybe, maybe today their entire family rejects them and then they're stoned. That's the mindset of the upper room church. They are not just in this half-heartedly. They're in it with our whole hearts. And here's what Jesus then says in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What Jesus began, he will complete and he will finish. The question is, 
will we be standing in the house? So the, the title of the message today, as I close, is count the cost for Pentecost. If we want to see that kind of thing in our lives where God overflows our hearts, we have to walk in this kind of reality of walking in the cross. You can't have, the, you can't have Pentecost without the cross. Okay? And you can't walk in that without the reality of the Holy Spirit. And what's the good news? Is the good news is he has poured the Holy Spirit abroad in our hearts. Amen? All right. Will you guys stand with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us new hearts. That you came to encourage us, but not to encourage us only. You also came to challenge us, to show us a new way of living. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would descend just on on our hearts today. That as we try to put our minds in the upper room, the upper room state of mind, just like the 120 that were gathered there today, those people who had counted the cost, those who had considered, they'd gone through the ups and downs, they'd seen the crowds, they'd seen the crowds go, come and go. They'd seen the miracles and they'd also tasted the mockery and scorn of the cross. The foolishness that is the gospel. What Paul called the gospel that is Christ and him him crucified. The mystery of the ages. Jesus, this morning, would you send your Holy Spirit? Can we just all gather and just pray? Jesus, this morning, would you, I just want you, if you, even if you feel nothing, um, could you come to the altar and can we just pray for him to touch our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you come? We just ask you to touch our hearts, God. We ask you, Lord, to give us hearts, like Psalm 119.32, where we could run the way of your commandments, that great commandment of love where you enlarge our hearts, Lord, that something changes, that the things that we're failing in today could shift and change when you touch our hearts with your spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and do that today. Pour out your spirit, overflow our hearts, and fill us with your spirit and your fire today in Jesus' name. Amen.